Hello everybody and welcome to the fifth podcast of the Melbourne AWS User Group. Once again, we are talking about what is new this time for July 2020. And as usual, I am joined by my good friends Jean-Manuel and Guy. Hi everyone, happy to be here again. Hi everyone. So let's just kick off with something we've sort of expected considering everything that's going on in the world and that reInvent is going to be a virtual event this year. Yeah, so as you say, it's to be expected. We didn't think there'd be a um, whole lot of appetite for um, schlepping over to Las Vegas. And yeah, I think this is obviously expected, as you say, and, and the right the right call to make at this point in time. So November 30th to December 18th, uh, three weeks of a lot of video, I guess, to watch and a lot of YouTube to catch up on. Let's we'll see what happens. I'm interested to see why it's going to be three whole weeks. I guess it will offer more possibilities for workshops and things like that, because I don't think there will be that many more talks. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? The idea to spread it out over a longer period, because really you could do it all in one day in the sense that you could just go, well, here's all the content, splat. <laughs> you know, there's a thousand videos you can go watch, watch them in any, any order you like. This there's this idea that this is the kind of spanning it over three weeks, like makes it more of an event, I guess, but it's, it's interesting. Yeah, we don't have the agenda yet, so you, what you can do is to go to the website and subscribe for an update, and I guess we'll get some new news on, on the agenda, and if there's going to be a real live stuff, probably not going to fall in our time zone anyway, so we might need to watch at uh, Switch TV or something like that on the next day, but um, yeah, still looking forward to it. I'm sure there's a good announcement for us in APAC. There's a good, good product coming up, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I hope it's just not a whole bunch of uh, videos of people like obviously reading an auto-queue. That, that, that would be disappointing. Yeah, we have no idea what it's going to be like. We look at something like WWDC from Apple that was apparently really nicely done, even though it was all pre-recorded, but it also didn't have to fit the usual exactly an hour long. So it's possible we get something like that. It'd certainly be nice to see AWS use the opportunity to reimagine what reInvent might be. Maybe that's that's their new tagline. Reimagine, reinvent. <laughs> well, as Jean-Manuel said, fill in your email address on the reInvent website, and well, once we know more, we can discuss more. In the meantime, let's talk about stuff that has been announced. Now let's start with finally in Sydney. We've got three items today. IoT analytics. Guy, this seems like something in your wheelhouse. Yeah, well, I do like IoT, and this is nice to see. So yeah, IoT analytics, um, collecting data from IoT devices from multiple sources, cleanse it, fill gaps, transform. It'll store it in a time series data store for you, keeping the raw data and the process data separately so you can reproduce your process data results later on if you want to. It'll let you analyze that data, do SQL queries, time series analyses. You can run some machine learning stuff over it and then you can visualize it in the console or you can use some um, QuickSight to visualize it. So yeah, so it's, a, it's nice to see that finally in Sydney and um, I'm sure people working in the IoT space will appreciate that. Nice. Um, we have a, a new Snowball, uh, Snowball Edge, Compute Optimized. So we used to have Snowball here in APAC, but now they added the Compute Optimized version. It's uh, 52 vCPU and 200 gig memory. So it's, it's, it's a big, big machine. And you can add a, a Tesla V100 GPU as well if you wanted to. 
I had a look at the cost and that really changed. So the, the normal snowball was $300 for 10 days. Uh, this one, computer optimized, is 1500 for 10 days, right? And then after $150 per day. So if you want to run EC2 instance, if you want to run like C5 and 5 on, on that, you can, but, um, you know, definitely a good cost. Uh, and the GPU added is another $500 on top. So that's $2,000 for 10 days and, and $200 a day after that. So you can prepay for one year if you wanted to use it. Uh, the prepay version is $100 a day, or that's $36,500 a year US. So it, it's a decent cost for a little, uh, <laughs> little server with a couple of uh, uh, CPUs, but um, you know, there's definitely a lot of good use case for that. Um, running EC2, running an S3 version, running EBS on NVM as SSD storage, um, all of that locally, I don't know, for the army, for, you know, for pipeline, for gas, uh, offshore stuff. I mean, there is a lot of use case to be able to run a lot of compute uh, with that storage. So I think it's worth it. It's just not as catchy a name as Snowcon from last month. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, AWS product names, we could, we could go on about that for hours, I'm sure. But... Um, yeah, sometimes they really hit it out of the park with their names, and other times you just think, "Oh, oh my lord, who 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 came up with that?" But yeah, Snowcone is isn't it interesting how everyone who's heard that name just gone, "Oh, Snowcone! Oh, it's so adorable! I must have one." <laughs> um, whereas you know, most products, uh, it, it just shows you, I think, the appeal, the, the importance of naming something well. Um, it can really change the the way someone you know approaches it, and if you approach a product with a positive, a positive mindset because you like the sound of it. You're going to be, you know, doing confirmation bias on on how you felt about it. That you everything you you, you see about it, you're going to you're going to like, right? And uh, yeah, conversely, you know, when they have a terrible name, yeah, I mean, you just you're just going to approach it. At, completely differently. Let's talk about name, uh, AWS Secret Manager. That's pretty easy to understand this one, <laughs> to manage your secret. Um, so he's in Sydney, but the uh, the announcement today is about RAP compliance. So I'll remind everyone, RAP is, is about uh, being able to host protected data in Australia. It's an, an Australian regulation and uh, it's following the um, information security manual, uh, which has been given by the government to be able to store uh, information for uh, public sector. And uh, that's bringing the total of services in Sydney ARA compliant to 93. So it's, you can really build uh, an ARA compliant environment inside AWS. It's not all the services. AWS has 175 services. Uh, here we have just 93 of them, but, uh, you know, all the core, all the, the main are here, even, um, you know, analytics and glue and, uh, all these products now are included. So very interesting to have that, uh, level of, of protection. So protected level is just before secret, which is government level. Um, so really any government agency can use AWS now, uh, in, in a safe way. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty core service to, 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 to have in that um, bucket. Yeah. Um, secrets manager. Yeah. Let's go on then to not uh, Sydney-specific things and start with serverless. One service we've discussed, I think, in almost every single episode of our podcast is the RDS proxy. Hmm. And it's now finally generally available, which is pretty awesome. Yep, the old generally available trick, hey? Um, yeah, in, in, in this case, um, certainly a very important distinction 
between a preview and a, and a GA feature. You, you, you wouldn't have wanted to use this one in, in preview and run it into production. But um, yes, definitely a, a service that's um, been hotly um, anticipated by a number of a number of people, a number of customers as well. And sometimes it's GA, but not in Sydney. Uh, this time it's in Sydney, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so there's some limitations to it. It's only MySQL and Postgres. So if you were thinking that maybe you'd be able to stick this in front of a SQL server, you can, that's, that's, not, that's not an option. The proxy has to be in the same VPC as your database. Proxy can't be in a public subnet, can't be publicly accessible. Yeah, but look, there's a few restrictions, but it's, it's, all, it's mostly good. Yep, indeed. Let's go on to the next one, which to me was a bit of a weird announcement that the SAM CLI is now available for production use. I don't know about any of you, but I've been using it in production for quite a while. <laughs> yeah, it's... um. Yeah, it's 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 a funny one, but look, I guess um, I guess it's a it's nice that that they've kind of released one point zero point zero. It's a milestone. It's um, I think it it came uh, it came with some other announcements. I think bundled didn't it? Uh, it came it came with the lambda layer announcement as well. So it's kind of a bundled um, release, I guess. In that sense, there's more than one announcement in there. It just happens to be that it's also version one point zero point zero. Yeah. And speaking of Lambda layers, interesting ones also uh, that uh, Amplify CLI now supports Lambda layers. Yeah, that's right. So you can create a, a Lambda layer now using using Amplify um, and sort of gives you some, some uh, tooling around managing those as well and including them in your project. So that'll be handy for, for people who are using Lambda layers. It, gives, it sort of gives you some tools for building one as well, I think off the top of my head. So yeah, that'll be useful if you're in the Amplify um, world and um, and you'd be wanting to do that. Now you can. Let's have a look then at containers. There was quite a bit there and a big part, I'm guessing, because AWS had container-related events where they announced some of these. The, the, the one that sort of poked out to me as, as being one that will get a lot of developers excited, I think, is the new ability to use Docker Compose to deploy straight to ECS and Fargate. So that was a sort of a joint announcement between AWS and Docker that they, they developed this feature. And it, I sort of looked at the, the blog post about it. It looks pretty sweet. So basically, you just run Docker ECS Compose up and uh, it'll go and create a bunch of uh, AWS resources for you. Is how how I read it. You're the container expert, are you? So t tell us all about it. Yeah. So you say ECS and Fargate. I believe it's just for Fargate. So it will literally spin up Fargate containers for you. I haven't tested it myself, but yeah, it's definitely really nice to increase the speed of developing and testing something in your environment because you can just run it locally, deploy it without having to think about it, and see if it works. I don't know if you want to use it to deploy things to production. I think there's probably some nicer ways to do that, but for testing environments, just development, it seems pretty good. Yeah. I think um, there's a lot of developers out there now using Docker um, it's because, you know, obviously containers are big who haven't necessarily uh, gotten across cloud. And, you know, I was actually speaking with one the other day who uh you know, needed to deploy a new app 
for a customer into AWS and 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 was actually saying to us, "Oh, can you just spin me up an EC2 instance and I'll, I'll just go and I'll just go and you know deploy it the way I would do it on my you know local machine." And it's like because he wasn't really confident about how to do it any other way. Uh, that that was kind of how he was going to do it, and I actually sent him the link to this announcement. And he said, "Oh my god, that's exactly what I want." Um, so, I think there's a I think there's probably a very large number of developers for whom this announcement is going to be a very important one, and it's going to uh, rock their worlds, um, and it'll be just a way that that they'll get more confident with with you know using things like ECS and Fargate, where they might have resisted it previously. Yeah, I mean, it shows that how to you know, how having a container orchestration tool can be very um, scary for a developer while they just want to publish the, the Docker container into something that works. And uh, I can see that in the enterprise when they, you know, they embark into using uh, a Kubernetes or EKS and, and uh, they, they spend so much time to just make the environment working where here you can just push your Docker and Fargate take care of everything. You, your task is written. You don't have to worry about anything. Your security group is there like an EC2 instance and it just works. So... Um, you know, where you want to invest your value and the application from the developer flow to, to, to production. Uh, I think, uh, that, that changed probably the way we can, we can see container orchestration now. More serverless kind of container style, right? Um, yeah. Uh, another app, like I, 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 I like the, the concept is the app to containers. Uh, the, the small software AWS release. So it's, it's free. And basically, you can package uh, an application running on EC2 or on-prem. So you can package Windows application, ISP.NET 3.5, uh, running on IIS into a, a, a container as well. Or running on Linux, you can package JBoss, Apache, Tomcat, and Java, Spring Boot, IBM, WebSphere, Oracle, WebLogic, and all of that into a, into a container. And you write for you the cloud formation template. You write for you the ECS task. And, and all of that, even a Kubernetes deployment YAML file if you wanted to, um, and to help you migrate quickly. Um, so you take an app, an app from on-prem, package it to a container, and then push it to, to ECS again. Same same type of philosophy from application to deployment uh, more quickly and then abstracting all the difficulties of managing containers. So I like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it just doesn't fix your application for you. Necessarily. No, it's just repackages, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, which is obviously, you know, often the, the, the harder the harder challenge. But, um, yeah, definitely uh, yeah. A, a very nice Again, anything that kind of streamlines and makes the heavy lifting um, go away is, uh, is is welcome. Yeah, in that vein, then there's also AWS Copilot, which is the CLI version two for ECS, which is also again streamlined to make it easier to deploy and operate your containers in AWS. Like if you use it the first time, you can just start it without any flags, and you get a nice little wizard to walk through. But Obviously, you can also just use arguments to make it easier for you, but especially for first-time developers who just quickly want to spin something up in AWS because they need it or because their clients want it, it, again, makes it a lot easier to do these things. So it's good to see we've got a bunch of tools in that regard this time. Yeah, for sure. Uh, EKS goes to version 117. The, the, the new version is still a bit behind, but um, so now you can create... Only three version always in AWS are supported, so 115, 116, and 117. And you have to upgrade your 114 to the new version. AWS don't let you fall behind, so it's good. 
117 is a new one. And then the, uh, the announcement about App Mesh as well, um, with ingress support with virtual gateway. So I had a look at it. Uh, it it's a kind of complex type of design, but uh, basically you have a couple of Envoy proxy again, creating a virtual gateway with certain, uh, you know, gateway routes to, to be able to route your traffic uh, in different sidecar Envoy into a, an app container again, and you need to have a load balancer in front to be able to run that. But that allow you to have very complex routing ingress into your ECS or your EKS uh, cluster. So that's uh, that's a good addition for AppMesh. And you can always do TLS as well. So, uh, you know, if you want full encryption on this one, that that's good. There is a good blog, actually, if you want to have a look at it. Um, uh, we can put it in, in the notes. Oh, one other one that I do want to raise is for ECR. And that is that you now have the ability to encrypt your images using your KMS keys. Yes, in the past you have to use uh, IES two five six, right? Um, the standard one. Now you can pick your own keys, which is really good for compliance. Shall we move on to EC two and VPC? Yeah. Again, a whole bunch of improvements. I'll just call out my usual interesting instance announcements. Again, a Graviton 2 type, or rather three Graviton 2 types were announced. To make things easier, they got a second suffix. So these are the M6GD and C6GD and R6GD, which basically means that they've got local SSD storage or NVMe-based SSD storage. So nice and fast local storage for workloads where ABS just doesn't quite cut it. And uh, AWS Transit Gateway does support granular CloudWatch metrics. So that's interesting because uh, that was missing, I think, in the Transit Gateway product. Uh, so you can have for each attachment now, so including the VPC attachment, the side-to-side VPN, Direct Connect, you can have bytes in, bytes out, packet in, packet drops, packet drops with no route. So that really help you to monitor uh, more closely your transit gateway traffic. And you can, obviously, because it goes to CloudWatch now, you can set up alarms and give you alarms if there is no traffic. That's a problem because you should have traffic from your direct connect gateway, for example, uh, to your transit gateway. Or if you have too much traffic and then you need to start thinking about scaling. So, um, yeah, a good addition there to have CloudWatch metrics now on transit gateway. EC2 Image Builder, I, I like that announcement because that's been a nightmare for a lot of people distributing encrypted IMI across account and across region. Uh, so if you use the EC2 Image Builder now, uh, at the end of when you set up your pipeline, uh, this I'm testing, you can set up all the region you want that AMI to be distributed, all the accounts you want that AMI to be distributed, and then you pick the key who's going to encrypt that AMI into that respective region and that respective account. So that that's pretty cool. One thing though, you need to have the key created. If you never use that region for them, or if you don't have the uh, basic uh, EBS key, or, or if you don't create your CMK in advance, you can't distribute encrypted. You need to have that key created to be able to fill that pipeline. So, but that, that's good. And, um, yeah, you can finally distribute a lot of IMI very quickly. Yeah. The other image builder announcement I quite enjoy is that logs can now be streamed to CloudWatch. I don't know. Because um, every time I've used Image Builder, if there's an error, you have to look at the logs that come through session or the run command, SSM run command, then get passed into Image Builder, and they are completely 
messed up and unreadable, yeah. which is obviously very annoying. So having that stream to CloudWatch instead should mean that that is a lot more readable and understandable for what's going on. Yeah, but that's not automatic, right? I mean, it, it is enabled by default, but you need to be sure that the role you're going to give to your EC2 instance has the right to create log stream, create log yeah. groups, and put log events. Otherwise, they won't happy, and that happened to me. So um, the, you need to be sure that the role has all the the proper uh, IAM role for EC2 to be able to uh, see uh, what's happening in CloudWatch logs. That's good. Another one that I think we are all quite happy about, even though it seems small, is that VPC resources, so a bunch of them, I believe it included things like Knuckles, that you can now add tags when you create them. Actually, I tested it, Arjun. Not all of them. That's funny. The, the VPC, you have just you just have the name tag, and Knuckles, you just have the name tag as, as well. If you want to add more tag, you need to go back to the product, right? Uh, otherwise, you have the, the, the cartouche or the, the little block to be able to add all the tags you want at creation. But, uh, so that goes through the console. But if you use the, you know, the VPC wizard to create the, the VPC, that's still not tag anything. If you use the, yeah, the without, you don't, you don't have any tag. So, um, and I believe CloudFormation still probably lack a couple of tags as well when you create that. So, need to see. Um, I think they, they miss VPC and miss Knuckle in the in the review, but otherwise you can. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because it's always so annoying when something supports tags, but you can't add them when you create them. Yeah, we we at my company we we develop a lambda function to go and <laughs> review all the what is not tag and tag the ENI and tag everything because you know otherwise you you fail compliance. So that that's that's it. Let's move on to DevOps, where I think uh, the biggest announcement might be that everybody's beloved Code Guru is now generally available. <laughs> Again, this is a service that we've discussed quite a bit in the past. It allows you to, well, as the tagline says on the blog post, find your most expensive lines of code, then probably find out who wrote it and fire them. No, Arjen, no blame culture. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> review the process change the code and move on yeah <laughs> good that means my job is still safe <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and and as we've mentioned in the past it's it's java only so don't get excited if you're a .NET dude or whatever it's not for you but what is for you yeah, what, but what is for you is the porting assistant for .NET. Yes, to move from 3.5 to 4.8, is it to, to help people moving to .NET Core? To, to not .NET Core, yeah. So it'll analyze and port your .NET framework applications to .NET Core running on Linux. So it'll look at the source code um, and basically find dependencies and identify incompatibilities and give you a guide, guide you towards appropriate replacement uh, packages. So, um, yeah, I think that'd be quite helpful because I, I think, um, not that I'm a .NET developer, but I, I can imagine it would be quite helpful because I think there's a lot of people wanting to do that right now because obviously people are getting wise to the idea that on the cloud, nobody needs a Windows server. Um, if you can run your code on Linux, why wouldn't you? And save yourself the 40% or whatever overhead that you pay for, for Windows OS. So there's a lot of, a lot of enthusiasm for getting this done, I guess, now. So so anything that'll help developers get get their applications running more efficiently on, on AWS is a good thing, TM. Yep. Speaking of good things, 
maybe. I know what you're hitting. CDK pipelines, what do you want yep. to talk about? <laughs> so the CDK has seen it's seen a lot of development all the time, so it's definitely turning into something to have a good look at. I think we said that last month as well. So this month, two major items, basically. The first one is Terraform support, which sounds like you can now use the CDK to generate your Terraform code that then generates your CloudFormation code that then generates your actual resources. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people do not like HCL language, right? They, they prefer Python or TypeScript, so that, that's what they want to go to. Yeah. I, th- I think, I mean, the th- I'm a big fan of CDK, and I think, you know, probably a lot of developers would prefer to to compose their infrastructure in code than like proper code rather than YAML or, or HCL. So I think it's definitely, you know, one of those growth areas where, where it's going to make, make a difference to the developers' lives. Um, but yeah, supporting Terraform is like, um, you know, reopening wounds that were just healing. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, where, where a lot of organisations have had, you know, you know, I want to use Terraform. Well, you can't use Terraform because we don't use Terraform here. Those sorts of conversations. We're going to use the CDK, okay? But well, now the CDK can use. You can use the CDK for Terraform. So now I'm confused. What do I do? Yeah, and you can you can not only use CDK for Terraform for AWS, but you can use CDK for Terraform for all of the other provider. So you could even deploy Azure stuff on Terraform through with the AWS CDK. That would be interesting. Yeah. I guess if you write the right CDK abstraction layer modules, that basically means you could go for what Terraform's dream state is, that it's all vendor independent and you can basically in your CDK somewhere give a flag for this goes to Azure, this goes to AWS, this goes to GCP, and it will actually generate the Terraform code for that particular vendor. Yeah, and then change the variable for the VNet or for the VPC or for the subnet. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's a good idea. But CDK deployed as well this week uh, the... Um the CDK pipeline preview, and I had a look. It says the pipeline created by CDK pipeline is self-mutating. That's a scary word for me. Um, <laughs> self-mutating. So every time you deploy a new pipeline, that your pipeline can get bigger and different and, and uh, really grow to de- deploy multiple accounts or multiple environments. That's, that's interesting. And, and then, yeah. So it's, it's, like, it's like cancer. Is what you're saying? <laughs> yes, it's, it's a scale wheel, self-mutating. So you deploy the pipeline once, uh, for example, which is an em- empty pipeline, and the more you deploy your application, the more your pipeline grow and uh, have more steps. And, and uh, so it's, it's obviously developing code pipeline, right, in, in the background, um, but uh, it's pipeline as code, so you can share your code. And uh, at launch is Python, Java, .NET, and TypeScript. So not the limitation we've seen in the other CDKs. Uh, the four languages supported there. So, but it's in developer preview. Sorry, there is a good blog as well uh, from the 15th of July about it, um, about how how it works. I'm still confused. So, you know, I haven't had a chance to deconfuse myself yet. And and your explanation, lovely though it was, James, hasn't actually made me less confused. Okay, sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's not your fault. So, I read the exact teams can easily add stages to their pipeline to deploy the application across multiple AWS accounts or additional regions. So, that's why your self-mutating pipeline can keep changing from, from the, the first day. Hmm. I think I need someone to draw me a picture. Look at the blog. Look at the blog. It's quite good. 
Speaking of deployment tools, CodeBuild also had a couple of interesting improvements. The biggest one I suspect for most people is the support for parallel and coordinated executions. So you can basically spread out your builds and then have them come together again. Yeah, Guy, you were talking about that the other day about a step function to be able to do that. And then now that's, yeah. that's a non-event anymore because you can use directly batch to be able to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's um, yeah. Who'd work with AWS? Honestly, you, you you fix a problem and then they just come in and fix it a different way and make you irrelevant. Yeah, to, to, I hadn't seen that one. That's that's uh, July thirtieth. So I hadn't, hadn't uh, reviewed that one. Um, yeah, interesting. So yeah, previously you'd have orchestrated them using Lambda or Step functions. Now with batch builds, customers can configure a single project for multiple build executions. So, but can you do it dynamically? Does this mean that you can just uh, at the time of running it, you can specify what you want it to, what 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 individual sub components you want to build. Because if it doesn't, I'm still in the game. <laughs> because you, you do it on variable with that function, is it? So no, it says build batch builds support the configuration ordering of build executions with either a configuration list, configuration configuration matrix, or a dependency graph. So yeah, it just depends on whether you can dynamically do that at runtime, I guess. Uh, well, yeah, that, that's an exercise for the reader. Let's have a quick look at the uh, security items. Yeah, do you like this announcement? Easily manage your content policy for AI services with AWS organization. Have you seen that? that that's linked with the announcement a couple of weeks ago, yeah? Yeah, it's a fun one that after there was a bit of a brouhaha about it on Twitter and stuff that you're automatically opted in for sharing your content with AWS when you use the ML services and now they've made it easier for you not to do so. Yeah, it's, instead of automatically opting, you, you 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 need to opt out now. But that was not for all the services. So for example, SageMaker and Personalize and Forecast, all of that never been into that, into that, 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 that realm of, of AI. So only it was CodeGuru, Comprehend, uh, Lex, Poly, Recognition, Text Track, Transcribe, and Translate. So now you can opt at your organization level. I don't want to share that data with AWS, and then everything will stay in the region. Which they were very, very quick to to do that feature, isn't it? Mm. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because I mean, a lot of a lot of how they improve those services is by collecting that sort of data. So, in a way, if you opt out, you're kind of starving them of data that can be used to improve the service. But uh, look, you know, obviously, I'm sure there are use cases where it makes perfect sense to say um, you don't want to opt in, yeah, or there's legal compliance reasons why it's not appropriate to opt in. But um, it's interesting that that's how, you know, obviously that's, they, they kind of rely on you opting in to, uh, to build their, um, you know, build their data sets to, to, to make their service more accurate. I guess most of the customer wouldn't mind, right? But like I've got a customer who wants to use test, test tract and they might use financial information or something like that. You don't want that to end up in the US, right? You need to stay in Australia, so. But that's kind of a different question isn't it i mean um, if if the data is going to the u.s then yeah fair enough but if you know and and maybe they'll just need to be uh you know more respectful of data sovereignty kind of questions and 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 if, if that would um, solve the problem for, for for some users then maybe that's something worth that, that they'll have to do because yeah i mean the consequence of losing the data is probably significant over time 
but you can opt out now, which is good. Give you the choice. Yeah. Yeah. Firewall manager launch manage rules to audit VPC security groups. So that that's good. Uh, I like it. You can really uh, set up across your organization to audit your security group. It's still using the background uh, config rules to do it. So it's it's nothing magic, right? But you can have you know centralized uh, view and then report your uh, violation of of security group. So if you don't want zero zero to open to the world with twenty two or through three eight nine, uh, so you can do that. It's, it's hundred dollars per month per policy, so it's a bit dear, uh, but organization can can afford that for sure. Uh, one thing who got me though. Um, I recommend my customer to use a shared VPC or shared subnet and a firewall manager security group policy are not supported for participant resource in, in shared VPC. So that's the only downtime on this. The VPC need to belong to the account is being used um, with the security inside. But otherwise, it's a very good product, still using config rules in the background, so you can do it yourself too. Yeah. Speaking of config rules, and I know you always... Love these things. Uh, another 28 of them. Um, I can't name them all, but there's some on RDS, some for EKS, some on the EC2 metadata version 2. So that, that's a good one. Um, you know, I, I did a, a video on uh, what happened on at um, a financial institution who were hacked with SSRI last year using uh, AWS metadata. So that's a, that's a good uh, test to be able to force uh, your EC2 to use the version 2 of the metadata service with a proxy. We stop SSRF attack uh, to ex- exfiltrate your keys, basically. There is some rules on the ILB to be sure you have a WAF on it. Some make sure your WAF does logging. Make sure your ELB does uh, cross-zone um, load balancing. A couple of things like that. Always useful to have stuff done for you instead of having to do a Lambda function to do it. Yep. Talking about WAF, um, I really love the WAF security automation. Um, that's version 3 now. That's been released a, a while ago by AWS, which is like a full package with CloudFormation to be able to deploy WAF very quickly on CloudFront or on ILB. So they just issued a new version now who support WAF version 2. And then so you can deploy more AWS managed rules. Uh, they upgraded uh, the, the code to Python 3.8 instead of Node.js. So um, you have all sort of suite about, you know, a blacklisting Athena for looking at your log. So it's really a one one small package to be able to deploy WAF very quickly and then put that on your CloudFront or your WAF uh, on, on ILB, and then um, you're you're protected. So please use it. And and WAF is so cheap to use. So yeah, good good product. So another one um, which could also probably be under the AI ML section is Fraud Detector. Having been launched, Fraud Detector does what it says on the tin. It detects possible cases of fraud for your usually e-commerce website. And from my understanding, it's based on the actual data from Amazon. I think we all know that site has had its share of yeah, for sure. So it, they've they've obviously invested a lot of time in um, uh, using machine learning to to detect or predict uh, whether an account's genuine or not, um, and to 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 predict online fraud. So yeah, so you you're essentially benefiting as as a number you know as you often do with AWS, you, you're benefiting from the experience they've had of running. A, a very successful and huge e-commerce um, site for many years, and you're getting really the benefits of all the learnings that they've had in a nice, easy to consume product. So, yeah, it's um, it's it's a it's a nice model, and um, 
yeah, it can I think do a lot of the t- takes again a lot of the heavy lifting from from, from the from the customer. Yep. Um, a new change on Secret Manager, and I like that very much. Um, Secret Manager before didn't have that, and, and I think that's going to really enhance the security on how to do the secret. So you can attach now uh, resource-based policy on the secret. So it it's works a bit like uh, KMS now. You you have IAM to be able to access Secret Manager, but then you can add another policy on top to be able to um, uh, really name the principal who can access that particular secret. Uh, and that can be across account as well. So you can start thinking about maybe centralizing your secret manager and, and having a cross account uh, policies on that. And um, I had to do some research because uh, AWS says that they use uh, the Zelgrova model to validate the, the policies and, and um, you know, it's translating basically your policy into a, a mathematical uh, language and then use that to be able to highlight what your policy is exactly, exactly doing. So now when you create a secret at the end of the environment, you have a, a template in JSON that you can create your resource-based policy and you attach it to your secret. So really easy to use uh, and then we limit certain people to access certain secret or on certain application. And on top of that, they added as well uh, an easy search. You can search on tag now, on keys, on name, on description. So um, really a good improvement secret manager. Always good to see key things like that get better. So let's have a look at the storage and databases. I think one key item there is probably, and we've talked about this a bit, Guy, is that uh, EFS increased the uh, minimum throughput again. Yeah, that'll be, uh, for, for anyone who's ever been burned by um, running out of burst credits and getting a sad 50 kilobytes per second per gibby <laughs> byte. <laughs> uh, is that right? <laughs> Yeah, Kiwi bytes are basically the actual um, 1024 instead of 1000. 1024, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's Kiwi bytes. Yep. So, um, yeah, so previously, if you ran out of burst credits, you'd get a a sad 50 Kiwi bytes per Kiwi byte of of storage. So often, especially seeing as AWS said, you know, EFS is great for, for websites, you'd have a very tiny amount of data if you were just, you know, a noob on this product and, uh, you, yeah, you're, you would lose basically most of your throughput. Um, so the, the, the nice thing now is that the, there's a minimum throughput of one, one megabyte per second now, regardless of, of size. So it, it doesn't matter how little data you have on there. You don't need to ballast it to get at least one megabyte per second of throughput with EFS, which is going to make a lot of people quite happy, I think. Yeah, it's a much more usable baseline. And speaking of the throughput, they also increased the amount you can have per client, basically doubled it. It was 250 megabytes or mebibytes per second, and that's now gone up to 500, although the total remains the same uh, for how much you can put through, but at least now if you don't have as many instances, each of those instances can be faster. Yeah, the total is still a 10 gig uh, across all the NFS clients for, for EFS, yeah. Um, what did I have? EBS fast snapshot restore for shared EBS snapshots. So um, 
Yeah, good product, very, very, very expensive product though. Uh, I did some calculations. So in the past, you could have the fast uh, restore on uh, only the uh, owner of the snapshot. So you know, for VDI, for example, for Citrix, for all of that who run on AWS, that was a big problem. Uh, Rehydrating the EBS volume when it come from from the snapshot coming from S3, and so your machine was quite slow until you have read the old blocks of your disk, and then so your machines can start working again uh, fine. But then. Suddenly, Citrix uh, terminate your machine, and you just start again with a new one until you end up with the same problem, having to rewrite your disk. So now with FSR, you can uh, have that fast restore. So the disk is pre-hydrated, so um, it takes some time to do it, but then your snapshot is really ready to use, so your machine is operational straight away. Uh, so in the past, you could do that only uh, when the snapshot was belonging to your account. Now you can do it across account uh, when you share the snapshot to another account, and only the person who enable uh, the FSR will pay. So you can have a source account who have a normal snapshot and then the, um, the recipient of the snapshot can enable FSR. To enable FSR though, it's 90 cents per hour per AZ. So I did a quick calculation. So it's $650 uh, a month per snapshot, per snapshot, right? Per AZ. And if you want, you know, the covering your three AZ, that's, that's 2000 uh, US. That's around 2700 Australian dollars to have one snapshot enabled with FSR. So you really need to be sure that your golden image is really needed at that stage. But, you know, very useful for cases I mentioned, VDI, when you need a fast machine um, uh, with, with a large image uh, to be able to uh, restore that. Um, when the owner of the snapshot stops sharing, uh, the snapshot, then the FSR will drop as well. So you could have, you know, creating your snapshot every day in the morning, have your FSR for the day and then switch off at night and then start again. I mean, there may be some cost saving that to be done because it's per, the charge per hour and per AZ. Um, the other thought, the other announcement here that I thought probably people care about is um, the reduction in cost for SQL Server, high, high availability DB instances. Not that I care but um a lot of people use it apparently i, I don't know why but anyway so on-demand prices have been reduced by an average of 25 percent across the latest generation instance classes so you know if you're a user of sql server then that's probably reason to be to be cheerful and uh on-demand usage is going to get charged at this rate from july 1st and reserved instance pricing is also going to be updated as well so um yeah so if you're a sql server user of uh, at least for HA versions and, and uh, enterprise, um, then then that'll be a handy saving because it's not like you don't need the savings if you're using that. You do. Everybody loves savings. Come on. <laughs> um, data, database migration service uh, support now enhanced pre-migration pre migration assessment sorry so you can do some computation to ens ensure that you're not going to have performance issue or, or a migration issue. Uh, before you you activate the migration, so that's a good good tool um, with, with DMS. Looking forward to use this one with the customer. On the AI and ML side, we've also got a bunch of interesting things. So the one thing that clearly everybody cares about is the DeepRacer Evo and Sensor Kit. You can now upgrade your DeepRacer to the second model with the dual cameras for depth sensing and the LiDAR and everything so that it can do all the cool things that the old one can't. Like head-to-head -head races, which 
I'm sure AWS wanted to do a lot more of in-person this year and unfortunately didn't get a chance to do that. So you can actually upgrade the old version to the new version. Is it correct? Yes, this is for upgrading the old one. Oh, awesome. Oh, yeah, I can see yeah, on the Amazon. Oh, yeah, yeah, you got the, the full box. You, you, they even give you a screwdriver and everything. Look at that. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. That said, of course, it's only available currently in the US. So if you don't live there, use parcel forwarders. Well, they're on special price now. Yeah, three ninety nine instead of five forty eight. Um, that's that's a hundred fifty dollars US saving if you buy the, the bundle price. Yeah. This this um topic though, it, it, it makes me wonder um what what expansion kits they might have for Deep Composer. Um, I and have you thought about that? Maybe a, <laughs> a guitar kit or um. <clears throat> a, dr- a drum kit, a drum kit. A theremin extension or something like that. Um, what do you, you got any thoughts on that? I'm personally hoping for a triangle one. That's basically the main instrument I can play. <laughs> so uh, are there going to be two type of racing now? One for the with the upgrade kit, and then the other version with the old like um, old cars. You think? Or they, everybody needs to upgrade. Yeah, that's what they that's what they said at reInvent when they announced it. So there's the old cell races, and then the new ones offer a lot of different types. So they can be head-to-head races, for example, or obstacle courses. So you have to the cars have to avoid obstacles. And I think there were a couple more, and obviously you can already do all of that in the virtual races. Um. What do we have? Um, Amazon EMR, you can encrypt your logs now with CMK. Uh, in the past, you could uh, um, store your logs only with server-side encryption with um, on S3. So now you can use your own CMK, which is good because EMR usually contains a lot of uh, you know secret information or PI information you want to encrypt. So that's good. Yeah. So the big announcement, though, I think for EMR is the managed scaling, which is the new auto scaling solution for EMR. So you can have a spot instances in there, you can have on demand instance, and um, you follow your saving plan and you can reduce your, your cluster when, when it's not operating. Uh, you need EMR 5.30.1 to be able to do it. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a managed scaling. Yeah, it makes it easier and allows you to save costs that way. So that's pretty nice. I remind everyone that EMR is single AZ. A lot of confusion with EMR. People think that multi-masters can be across AZ. It's not. It's a single AZ product, so don't use it to do um, anything else than batching because it can fail at any time. Um, another product I like, uh, Amazon Translate, um, can do um, supporting Office documents now. So Doc, CX, uh, XLS. And, and PowerPoint. So, um, interesting. And, and the blog, I had a look at the blog. It's funny enough. They translate French stuff. So English to French. And, uh, I was very surprised, uh, with the, you know, the, the quality of the translation. Very good French. So you need to organize your, um, your S3 with folders for your source and your destination. And then you launch the product and it, it does translation now of, of these documents. So really, um, really good to be able to do that, uh, for, for the enterprise. We need to translate in different languages. Shall we have a look at the other cool stuff that came out? Yeah. Yeah. So RDS instances on Outposts. Yay. Yes. You can do a MySQL or Postgres on Outposts now. Um, 
So, yeah, I had a look, uh, and the pricing is interesting because obviously you pay already for your outpost, so they're not going to charge you for compute. So now they charge you for the management fee, uh, and I did some comparison with a normal RDS. It's uh, roughly half the price, so for two CPU is 12 cents uh, per, per hour, and for uh, a 96 CPU, which is a very big RDS, is $6 an hour. But the same thing with RDS, uh, running on AWS will be $12 for the, for the big instance and, and, uh, around $20, $22 on, and, um, uh, for the two CPUs. So really it's, um, so almost half price for the management and half price for the compute. Wow. There you go. That's a insight into their pricing that you don't get every day. Well, it might be hard to manage, right? Managing an RDS remotely for them. Um, that would be interesting too. Because usually in RDS instance, has two network interfaces, right? One in your VPC for you, and then one inside their VPC for them to do the maintenance. Now everything going to be inside outposts. And I'm not sure how that, you know, backend access for AWS to do the maintenance will, will happen then. A new service, uh, the interactive video service. I haven't looked too closely at it, but my understanding is that it allows you to basically add streaming video to your Apple website directly, which is pretty cool. Um, I think we all see that live video is going places at the moment. And for things like conferences, it's good. Maybe this is what they'll use for reInvent instead of whatever the crappy thing was that they used for the summit. <laughs> the summit, absolutely. Yeah, so this is using the same video technology that uh, they use for Twitch. So, um, again, it's another example of where AWS have, I guess, uh, taking something that they've developed for their own purposes and and, uh, productizing it so that uh, anyone can use the same technology that they're using for their products. So that's pretty neat. Nice. Any comments on Sitewise from you, Guy? Well, because it's IoT, I'm obliged to to comment on it, aren't I? Yeah, so this is, um, so what's the deal with this? It's a a GA release, right? So it's been around for a while, but now it's GA. Yeah, it was announced at reInvent 2018. Right, right. So it's taken a a, a while. Yeah, so SiteWise is a, it's a combination of things. So they, they they have gateway software that you can deploy on site, on devices on site to do collection of data. So it's sort of designed for someone who's got a factory and, and or, you know, multiple, multiple factories or machines that they need to collect data, IoT data from. It's got tools for managing those gateways, um, ingesting that data, modeling it. Um, and essentially, uh, there's a sort of no-code environment called SiteWise Monitor, which allows you to, you know, present that data in, in a kind of point-and-clicky kind of way. Yeah, so it's that's that's what it is, and it's now GA. So, so hooray, if that's what you need. Oh, hooray, indeed. There was another IoT announcement around uh, multiple um, device shadows as well. So a device shadow is is basically a um, set of like uh, it's a J- literally a JSON file, but it's like a set of uh, config or, or it's a description of the the state of your device. So previously you could only have one shadow per device, and now you can have multiple named shadows for a single device, which allows you to have things like um, uh, like a factory reset state and uh, you know last known good state, and so it just gives you a bit more. A bit more flexibility, I guess, around managing managing the the shadow state of your device. 
So it's kind of neat. It's like a backup for your device, is it? It's like a backup for your configuration, almost? I don't know whether you... Mm, I mean, you could probably use it for that. So, yeah, I haven't really looked at, at all the use cases I've described. I mean, uh, the, the, the idea of, a, of you ship a device out, it has a sort of default set of settings that, that the user can then change, but you, they may want to revert to the original, like fact, do a factory reset. That's a, that's a use case um, I understand this, this enables. Yeah. It's, it's kind of not really a backup because it's, it's the state of the device. So it's like what the device is currently configured as. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit different, I guess. But yeah, that, that may well be a use case that, that you could use it for. Cool. Uh, an update on the AWS uh, well architected framework and, and the, tool, the, oh, yeah, the tool itself. A couple of new questions in security, um, in, in cost management. Um, so I recommend everyone to use the tool. It's, it's, it's well designed, it's easy to use in, inside the console. Just answer a couple of questions and give you some rating on the application you want to migrate or you have already in AWS and give you a clear view on, on how to follow best practice. So, um, something I recommend to use and then some good improvement, I think, in the questions. Some were a bit confusing before now they're, they're much clearer yeah yeah i agree I, I actually ran the customer through it the other day it was um it, yeah a lot of the sort of duplicate questions or things that were, were you had to sort of stop and explain why this is different to the previous question those sorts of things have, have been removed um yeah i think it is it's a lot clearer and actually running running it through the console now is 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 a lot is a lot smoother as well. They've just made some sort of usability improvements, I think, here and there. So yeah, it's definitely definitely heading the right direction for sure. Did you notice that Azure has released their um, equivalent? And guess what it's called? It's called the Well Architected Framework. <laughs> and guess what the pillars are? They're exactly the same as the AWS pillars. They're the same name and everything. Um, yeah, so that's kind of that's kind of funny. Uh, I, I haven't I haven't checked to see whether the Azure one has exactly the same questions. That would be awesome if it did, because <laughs> I could basically say, look, I'm 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 qualified to deliver well architected framework reviews for uh, for Azure now. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's a good product. Yeah, yeah, use it all the time. There's a couple of things. There's a couple of things for Amazon Connect which may be worth mentioning. And continue engage with your customer after hang up. Um, which you couldn't do before. Now you can call recording APIs. And of course, contact lens. So you can, uh, I think, remove uh, data from, um, sensitive data from the tr transcribe information and, and um, like name, addresses, and credit card numbers, something like that. Uh, it will uh, automatically detect and redact sensitive information such as name, address, credit card information, social security number from the call transcript and the audio recording. And those are... Uh a talk i think given uh at the last user group about that yes i recommend it this was a very good talk actually yeah. yeah it was good yeah it was a good talk generally about amazon connect and because contact lens had just been announced he showed a demo of that as well i'll include a link to the recording so everybody can see ryan's talk about it the only other thing i think uh, might be worth mentioning is the community builder program oh yeah so this is something people can apply for um, and it allows you to get some benefits from aws um, if they think you're a builder with potential and 
This includes some mentoring from people at AWS, some insights uh, into how things work, AWS credits, and things like that. If you're interested in this kind of thing, definitely say, check out the link and everything that's needed for it and apply for it. These kind of programs can always be fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's good, good, good initiative. Okay, everybody, thank you again for listening to us waffle about all of these announcements. I hope you learned something. So, of course, as always, I want to thank our sponsors, our gold sponsor, Enabler, and our silver sponsors, AC3, CMD Solutions, and Do It International. JM, Guy, thank you again for joining me and pointing out all the little details of these announcements. Thanks for having us. I, I, I learn something every time as well. Yeah, happy to happy to help and happy to learn everything. Um, it's, it's a good good exercise to go through this announcement every month to to uh, keep up to date. And that's all. Thank you all, and we'll see you next time.